everyone. I'm Christina, and this is the Broke Girl Society podcast. Uh, we are back with episode four, and this is Working the Steps. We're working step six. Tara and I actually did this step live on Facebook, and it was a really interesting experience. So I think that's something we'll probably do in the future. Um, I kind of like that interaction a little bit with people um, who might have questions or, or want to see what it's like to work the steps. Uh, so yeah, it was a great experience. Um, I want to give a shout out to Gamban for sponsoring this podcast. If you are struggling with online gambling, check out gamban.com and download their blocking software that will keep you off those sites and give you enough time to start recovery and, you know, work recovery and working these steps is a, is a great way to do that. So let's roll on into this episode. I'm Tara with the Ambitious Addicts podcast. I'm Christina with the Broke Girl Society podcast. We're going to be talking about step six in 12-step recovery, working the steps using the Women's Way Through the 12 Steps uh, book and workbook together. And that's what we're talking about today. So if you are in a program of recovery or you're curious about what 12-step recovery looks like, for me, one of my challenges early on in recovery was like, how do I work the steps? I don't even know how to do this. Where do I start? What does that even mean to work the steps as opposed to what we were experiencing in meetings, which is reading the steps. Um, and so I'm, I'm Tara. I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm also in recovery from codependency. I'm presently working a 12 step program of recovery for both my compulsive gambling and for my codependency. Yeah. I'm Christina. I'm a compulsive gambler and I am working the steps with Tara for gambling. So it's, it's been an amazing experience. And I, when I first stepped into recovery, I didn't know what, like you said, like what the difference was between working the steps and just reading the steps, you know, like when you're in a meeting setting and you just read out the steps, working the steps, especially with this workbook has been so eye-opening and I can see, I can see why they are so important in recovery. Um, I think a lot of people choose not to, to work the steps and that's okay. Your recovery needs to be what it needs to be for you, but yeah. Working yeah. That's, we share that mindset, right? Your recovery, your choice, do what works for you. Don't, exactly. if it does, if it's not working, don't do it. If you find it to be triggering, try something else. Yeah. Yeah. We're just showing you what works for us right? in the hopes right. that maybe it'll help you. All so right. step six reads, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. What do you think about that word defects? <laughs> you know what I think about that word defects. <laughs> so, yeah. So I really, uh, there was a few key things in, in my recovery that I, I was like, why? I don't like that phrasing. I don't like that word. I did not like the phrase defects of character because I was so full of, you know, shame and regret and hurt. I, I felt like I was defective. And now when I got to this step, I was already feeling like I was healing and getting better. And then I'm like, what? I'm not defective. You know, like I'm not a defective human being. I don't want to believe that anymore. I've been believing that for a really, really long time. And I was looking at it from that perspective, like you're flawed and you're a bad person. And so what I decided to do was unpack the word. And if we think about defecting, like from a military perspective, you're like, leaving a party. And I was leaving the party of addiction. And um, what was happening when my addiction was in charge was that I was defecting from the character I wanted to live by. So I think of it that way now, that, that when I'm active in my addiction, I'm defecting or abandoning myself. And so that's now how I've been able to reframe it in order to get over my my reaction to defects of character. Um, I now don't have as big of a reaction, but it, it, it was not, it was not something I really wanted to, wanted to look at. Like I, I did not want to call myself a defective person. How about you? Um, you know, certain words hit me a certain way, you know, like, um, when I think about the broke girl society and, and the name behind that, a lot of people like, I'm not a broken person. Like I'm, I was just like, had, you know, my mind was, was addicted. And so a lot, I've had a lot of people say to me, well, I don't, I wasn't a broken person. And I'm like, well, that's okay. But for me, I was, 
And that's how, that's how I describe where I was at with my addiction. I was broke financially, mentally, physically, emotionally, in every sense of the word. And so I connect really well with that word, but, but other people don't. So like defect doesn't, it doesn't hit me in a, in a way that's offensive. It just, um, I don't think I really have a reaction either way. I think it's just, for me, it's just just having to list everything that's wrong with me. Uh, I think that gets me more than anything. Like it's not the word, it's the actual, the actual defect, the actual problem. Right. And you know, when I, when I was listing this out, I was like, I have a real problem with the word gaslighter, like, because that one, for some reason hits me to the core that I made other people feel like they were crazy just to continue with my lies. Mm -hmm. or just, you know, to continue in my addiction. And so that one like hits me to the gut, but that would be something that described me in addiction. And I think fortunately it's not something that would describe me today, but it is something that, you know, I've had to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like creating a new, you were creating a new reality in order to manipulate would be another way to to call gaslighting the situation and what people, what people thought of you or how people perceived an event so that you could get your way and keep gambling. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah, I definitely get that. I think, um, when I look at my, my list now of things that were me defecting from my character, I mean, lying was certainly something that showed up a lot. Number one, number one for me. Yeah. And lying in a lot of different ways, not necessarily an outright lie uh, about, um, about anything that would pertain to the other person, but lying about who I was and what I was going through and how I was feeling and just not really being honest with anyone about how I was, um, you know, everything's fine. And lying to I'm ourselves. lying to myself every day. Um, and then lying to get money, you know, lying, lying to borrow money. Um, that was, that was a big one too, with my gambling, with my codependency, the thing that I think shows up the most is, um, my, my like putting other people's needs before mine always. And almost in a way that was like giving to get, like I was giving and giving and giving and giving almost so I could have some sort of power in that relationship to be like, I did this and did this, and I did this for you and almost kind of holding other people hostage to staying in relationship with me uh, or whatever. Uh, I don't know how else to describe that, but I, um, I was giving to get, I think that's the, the best way for me to put it now that I wasn't genuinely doing the things to be a good friend or because I loved somebody unconditionally, but Sometimes, and sometimes, of course, I was, but sometimes it was truly a, a manipulative tactic to be perceived as such a helpful person, such a generous person, such a caring person, and you know, shape other people's perceptions of me. And uh, I'm not proud of that. Yeah, I, I would relate to that to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, well, it's just all part of like that manipulating factor, right? Like, yeah. um, it all just kind of ties in into, you know, the characters we become. And that's the way I look at it is like a character, an actor, somebody that wasn't really being their authentic self. We were mm-hmm. being whatever we had to be to chase that drug. Right. And that drug of choice was gambling. Yeah. So gambling yeah. people, <laughs> For me, a lot of times it was people, validation, external validation from other me people. Too. People pleasing would be my next character defect. Like I, I've, but that's something I've struggled with since I was a child. Like I, that's not something that's just created for my gambling addiction. That is something I've had throughout my childhood and early adulthood, people pleasing. Like I don't like confrontation. I want everybody happy. i I am a warrior by nature. And so it's like, if I'm worrying about somebody, it was just easier to make sure I did everything I could to make them happy. So then I, you know, just all these different things and, um, yeah, like shape shifting. Yeah. Like just 
And then you just, you, what happens is you lose yourself because you, you're so busy through the whole thing. Like whether it was early on or through my addiction, it's like you lose yourself when you become so codependent and you want to please everybody else. It's like, at what point do you make yourself happy? Right. And I think for me, I just, I lost sight of that for my gambling, that idea of like, you know, losing myself, right. I was losing myself in my addiction too, quite literally using that to cover up at the core of what needed attention, what needed healing, the emotions I needed to be paying attention to. I was completely out of touch with who I was and what I wanted. I hadn't asked what I wanted, but with the gambling, I was also losing everything I worked my whole life to create in terms of money and savings and credit. And, (laughs) and, and I, I lost, I lost the ability to, to be here, you know, in the middle, like everything had to be really high or really low. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to me about being ready. (laughs) I mean, that's really all this stuff is right. This isn't like list out the character defects. It's like, we're getting ready. It's like accepting, accepting that things need to change, getting ready. You know, I think it's a lot of, it's about accepting that the things about ourselves that we need to change that we need removed. Um, and I think it's really just kind of realizing it, you know, as far as, as far as these behaviors. So what's interesting about this workbook and what's so great about it is step six is it's, it's a process of a lot of things. It's not something you have to do at once. Um, it's just a pro it says here, but a process we enter into over and over, over throughout our lives. So this is something that, you know, I know you've revisited this up several times. I don't know what, yeah. how many times this is for you working through codependency your first time, but I don't know how many times gambling wise, but you know, this is something that we will revisit throughout the year, um, or years, years yeah, as a recovery, <laughs> because we change. And I think sometimes too, I don't know what recovery is going to look like for me in five years. And I hope it's, it's very similar to your path. You know, here it is five years, over five years, and you're still very involved in your own recovery and the recovery of others. And that's what I'm hopeful for. Um, so I, I see where coming back to these steps and, and reworking them throughout the years is going to be beneficial and a must to be able to maintain that level of, of recovery. Yeah. It's a continuous process. Every time I go back and I do it again, I see some new opportunity to, to be even better than I was before the last time I did this stuff. There's always new stuff to find looking at it through this lens of codependency. I'm finding different things that I didn't look at at all when I was working on my recovery from gambling. Um, and I continue to work that program of recovery from gambling too. And it's the patterns are diff. They are a little bit different. The things I need to pay attention to are a little bit different with each of those. When I zero in on, on the drug of choice that I'm, I'm specific to, uh, it's, it is a, it's kind of a little mind blowing because I didn't think it would be, I was like, Oh, I know how to work to 12 steps. And then as I, I started really thinking solely about codependency, I was like, Ooh, my step four was really different. <laughs> and so that's how I found some of these new things that I wanted to get ready to, uh, lean on my higher power to help remove. Um, but in this step, we're just getting ready. And I think what struck me in, and I'll just revisit in case anyone isn't familiar with the book. I'm not sure how good this shows up. Women's way through the 12 steps. Um, that is the book and the workbook that we've used this time around in guiding our step work. Um, and it's been really helpful just to give us prompts for discussion, conversation, and, and of course thought. And one of the things that she writes in the book is, you know, that, that we'd reached this turning point that many of us reached. There've been moments when I realized that it was more painful to stay in the old pattern than it was to risk something new and unknown. That describes my desperation for recovery from compulsive gambling and being willing to try 
anything. And so being willing to say, oh, maybe I don't need impatience anymore. Maybe I, you know, maybe I don't need lying anymore. Maybe I don't want to be a liar anymore. I'm ready to be done with that. And when we decide that we're ready to be done with something, we get a whole bunch of opportunities to practice eliminating it from our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, even just with the compulsive gambling itself, um, it took me to finally being ready to purge it from my life. And was it, was it like an easy one, two, three process? No, I had to, I had to kind of get pulled back in a little bit and then pulled back out a little bit to realize that this is something that has to leave my life. If I want to have a life, it has to leave my life. So, yeah, I think, and that's, that's how this step six feels like to me is like, it's kind of that process. Like you have to just be ready and I'm ready to let go of the lying that, you know, cause I still struggle with white lies because of my, <laughs> we've family. talked about this before. Yeah. So I was just going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've struggled. I've struggled with white lies, like just, just to get out of confrontation or just because I didn't want to tell somebody the truth because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Um, because I, I just, you know, just the thought of hurting somebody because of something I say, it's, I still have a hard time with it, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I think when it comes to being ready, I'm ready. I am ready. <laughs> ready to leave the lion behind. <laughs> Absolutely. What'd you have for lunch today, Christina? <laughs> I had, I, I'm kind of like eating lighter. So I actually had guacamole on, um, carb, carb, like a low carb tortilla, like just, um, yeah, not even guacamole. It was just an avocado spread on a low carb tortilla. It was and smashed up. So cheese. yeah, I had cottage cheese and, uh, pears. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I remember you telling me that. I have a Dr. Pepper. I did wash it down with a Dr. Pepper. I'm not lying. I remember when we talked about this early on and you, you said, yeah, you know, sometimes like someone will ask me what I ate and I'll just blurt out. I had a salad, even though I had a burger. <laughs> and that's the truth of it because I didn't want to hear the like, well, you really should be eating, you know, you're diabetic. You know, I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want to hear that. So right. like, it was just easier to say the lie, but now it's like, and because I've caught myself so many times, like, I think the importance is catching yourself and, and fixing the lie in the moment, because it was such a behavior for me. Like I, I even started to believe my own lies. Like that's how, how strongly embedded it was in me. And so, yeah, now it's about in those lies is catching yourself and just, just being, um, truthful, you know? Yeah. And you're ready to be accountable and ready to deal with any kind of whatever, if you tell the truth about what you ate and something like you shouldn't have had that Dr. Pepper, you can be like, I know I shouldn't have had that Dr. I Pepper. I'm working on it. I had that yeah. Dr. Pepper cause I wanted it and, and I'm going to be okay with that for now. <laughs> well, and I had, and this is kind of a similar thing too. I don't know if it wraps in or, you know, me, I just get off topic, but we just talk. It's fine. I had, um, a lunch with a friend. I think if you've been following me in the group or whatever, you know, I had a lunch with a friend and we, I was telling her about my, my addictions and what I've been going through and, and, you know, she accepted it, uh, beautifully, but she brought up an incident that happened and she was like, this was just a really weird incident. Like I had mailed out her daughter's, uh, wedding gift and it never like showed up. And then eventually it came back to me and it was because I, I like transposed some numbers on the address. Yep. And so what I did was I just corrected the address and I just put it all in a different envelope and sent it out. Well, it got to her, not like not post post address. Like it was never stamped or anything, but it got all the way out to her. And she's like, well, did you, you know, were you lying about sending that? And then you just like drove it out to the mailbox. <laughs> and I was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Like don't add stuff to my men's list. <laughs> First of all, I didn't do that one. I didn't do that one. Like, I understand that you've got, I've had some questionable, questionable behavior, but when it comes to a gift that I sent, yeah, like, you know, that, and I was like, no, that legitimately like was just life. Like, I don't know how it got to you without being stamped. I've gotten mail without being stamped. I don't even know where she lives. Like, it's just kind of one of those things. I'm like, don't, don't add stuff to my list, please. It's long enough, it's long enough, but see, that's where, you know, 
I was, I was sharing with her some other things that I had done. So she just automatically was just lumping everything in. Yeah. And I was like, and, and I don't blame her. I don't, but I'm just, it's just kind of like, that's kind of how you're, even when you are doing things right, or even the, even if you do try to do something right, but you've done so much wrong, it's like, sometimes it's hard for people to see where you've done the right, you know, because yeah. it all gets kind of blurry. Yeah. And so, but I did clarify that with her. I was like, no. Yeah. It's interesting you bring this up because there's this other character defect that I'm working on around defensiveness and justification. Um, like very good point there, wasn't it? Big, well, where I, I can be, and I'm, I'm so, so much better at this. So, so much better. I'm working, I've been working on it a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, but even more so as I focus on my codependency, I'm kind of, she talks in this, uh, in her book about first we have to be aware, you know, and, and it takes a while. It's not like suddenly you're like, okay, I'm ready for this thing to be gone and it's just gone. We have to be aware of the thing in order for us to begin to recognize this is a pattern. It's a pattern I don't like. It's a pattern I want to change. And I'm ready. Like I literally have to declare I'm ready to let this go. And I justify sometimes when someone, in, someone's in disagreement with me, I can get into this debate mode where I'm justifying my position. I'm trying to find, you know, all the reasons that support why I'm right and they're wrong, you know, or try to pull them to my side or justify my behavior, why I behaved a certain way instead of simply saying like, oh, I can see how you would see it that way. And like fully accepting that someone else's experience in this world is different than my own. And they're, they're allowed to have completely different opinions and I can seek to understand their why, but there's no reason for me to justify who I am or what I want or why I want what I want. And as I started to enter self-employment, there was a whole lot of that going on for me when people were like telling me, you know, their opinion of what I should do with my life. I would spend a long time explaining why I was doing what I was doing instead of simply saying, thanks for the input. I see why you would see it that way. I'm going to do this anyway, because it's what I want to do. We don't have to explain things to other people, but that's a behavior I, um, I'm working actively to, to try to get rid of. I'm ready to be done with justification and defensiveness. Yeah. That's on my list too, but it's just down there. Like, <laughs> it's like way down the list. There's like, because I, I do get very like, um, I'll get defensive too. And I feel like that's part of like the gambling. Like I, I truly feel like I have PT, PTSD from my gambling, from my gambling habits, you know, the, the stressors. And I know we've talked about this, but I feel like that defensiveness pops up when I, when I'm actually trying to defend the truth now, because I spent so much time defending the lies. Now it's like defending the truth. And then I, and then especially with what I'm doing in my recovery life, like, I feel like I have to justify every decision I make, or even if I want to, you know, cut back maybe on a meeting, I feel like sometimes I have to justify why I want to cut back on a meeting because Mm -hmm. people are like, well, don't cut back on your meetings. I'm like, but I'm doing six a week. Like most people don't do that many. Right. And some people do more. Right. And it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of back to what we were saying earlier. Like it's up to us to, to know what we need and we don't owe anyone those explanations one. And two, if we're coming from a place of defensiveness, which for me, the character I want to live by is like kindness and compassion and patience and love and me being justification in my justification mind and being defensive, that's not coming from love and kindness and empathy and, and holding, you know, someone honoring someone else's experience. It's just all about me trying to shove mine down someone else's throat. Good point. And I know we've had so many conversations about this, you know, like when I've been dealing with other things. So it's interesting to hear you say that. Um, When we go into readiness though, she has, she has examples of like what you can do. I'm a visual person. So I like the thought of like visually having having things of how you could prepare to let go. Like it's all about preparing to let go. And, you know, for some of us, there's habits that we have that maybe we're not quite ready to let go of, whether it's 
codependency tendencies or, or, you know, there's just whatever, whatever the list is. So Mm -hmm. I think it's about for me, and this is why I created the burn journals was so that I could write out all these things, you know, all these things I was struggling with all these, um, character defects that I was having issues with. And for me, whenever I get ready to burn, I've got, I'm working on my third book. Mm -hmm. I haven't burned one yet. I created the burn journals, but I haven't burned one yet. Um, it will be a very symbolic, um, journey for me. I, I haven't burned the new ones. Let me rephrase that. I burned just a regular one that I had bought, which is Mm -hmm. what had me create. I, the very first one was just like all the anxiety and panic and everything I was having. And, um, I did burn that one and it felt really good, which is what influenced me to create the burn journals, but I have not burned a broke girl society. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And I, I think, will. Yeah. I think, uh, maybe that's a whole nother live video is you actually burning one of them. I think so. <laughs> and I'm, I'll probably get people who have bought them to see if they're ready to yeah. put things in there. Like, can we have a burn event? Let's all do it at burn the same event. time. Let's burn this shit out. Burn it down. Yeah. I, um, you know, I've done some rituals, some letting go rituals, multiple different ways. I've burned things. I've ripped up little pieces of paper and like drove around admitting to littering. It was compo- compostable. It's recorded. It's, <laughs> it's recorded. Now. Yeah. Like little tear things up into little tiny pieces of paper and throw them out the window. And like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And there is something that feels really good about truly having a letting go, um, kind of a ritual. And at the same time, we just talked about this in another meeting that I was in that I also had a ritual of goodbye with the the casino. Like I, you know, and like saying goodbye to it, like I was never going to come back and then I'd go back. And, um, so the first couple of times I did this, you know, I was kind of arguing with myself like, oh yeah, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. You're done gambling. Um, and I still, you know, I still, you know, this, like I still struggle, have this on again, off again relationship with cigarettes. I can't tell you how many times I was like, this is my last cigarette. <laughs> like this, you know, Very like dramatic. in my head, like really dramatic, like goodbye smoking. I'm it. done with I you forever. I throw the last <laughs> bottle away. I'm like, this is it yeah. for the house. Next yeah. And I, go, you know, and I think what that, of- yeah, I think what that tells us though, is like all those times I said, I was ready to leave the casino. You know, I wasn't really ready. And I think this step really shows us that it's okay if we try and try and try again and keep going after new things. And, and eventually we'll get to that readiness point. Same thing. We hear people say in the meetings, like don't leave until don't leave before the miracle happens. I like the thought of that. Um, and I think it's one of those things too, if, if you're, if you're struggling to leave gambling behind, you know, just keep, keep going to the meetings, keep reading what you read. And eventually you will get to that point where you're ready to, you just find yourself work, you know, moving more towards not gambling than gambling. You yeah. know, you start to realize, you know, different things start to show up in your life that, that start to push the other out. Yeah. Um, and for some people, yeah. And this is really about like what's underneath that for us, right? Like what are the character traits that really lead me to, led me to, or showed up when I was active in my addiction, where whether it was gambling, drugs, sex, work, alcohol, codependency, food, you name it. Um, I what? read something that blew my mind earlier. What's that? On Twitter, believe it or not. Um, this woman posted, um, oh, hang on. I probably should have had it up before I, I said it. <laughs> but she posted, she posted about um, why, like, most people think that they gamble because they escape, you know, to escape gamble to escape their life, escape their emotions. But what if you gambled because life was escaping you? And it was like, interesting because I think with my gambling, what started my gambling was because a lot of my friends were married having babies. I wasn't having babies. Mm -hmm. And I, that was always something I always thought I would be, I always thought I would be a mother. And as the years went on and, and the opportunities didn't show up, to be a mother, 
um, I think that really embedded in my gambling too, you know, like, like, like that part of my life was escaping me as I got older, you know, as certain relationships changed and it was just like, yeah, it, it blew my mind when I read that. Cause I'm like, I always looked at it as a, as a point of just escaping life, escaping the hard parts of life, the emotion of life, um, instead of escaping from the realization that life is escaping me. That, yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I think, you know, not having what we want, I was trying to escape the reality of my life as it was and kind of my unwillingness to accept life as it life on life's terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that is, I'd have to think more about how that applies. Cause I think I was escaping the emotions that were created because I was arguing with reality all the time, which is another character defect. <laughs> arguing with reality. Yeah. Like wishing things were different than they are versus loving what I have and not, you know, not spending a lot of time in gratitude, but always kind of looking for what I didn't have instead of really taking that a time to appreciate what was already there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we lose a lot of that when we're, when we're stuck in addiction, we lose a lot of the, we lose sight of what's right in front of us. Um, the good parts, Yeah, you know, I, I say all the time I didn't grow when I was deep in addiction and a lot of that was not appreciating the things that I was surrounded by. Right. Yeah, it was true for me too. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this question. Yeah. What did you learn about being ready or willing to let go? And going through that process, what I learned about being ready is that when I take the time to deliberately reflect about what I want to let go, I my readiness builds. It's like the courage gets bigger and bigger inside of me because for me, being ready meant really understanding why this wasn't something I wanted in my life anymore, no matter what name a trait, any trait, or that I didn't want to have as much power as it had in my life anymore. And I noticed when I took the time to get ready, that my attitude about it became more and more positive. I became more determined. I became, I came to have greater belief that, that it was possible, um, that it wasn't like, oh, this is just who I am. This is just the way that I am. I can't change who I am. Um, and really beginning to look at like, oh, well maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I could become somebody who, gets on Facebook and talks about the steps with a friend, you know, like maybe I to be able to watch and see. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I could be more vulnerable and less guarded. You know, maybe I could do that. Let me see. And so, and think about that, like with going to work out, right. I mean, if you're, if you're hanging out in your jeans and a t-shirt and you think, oh, it's time to go for a run, you're not ready. Very true. You know, you gotta, you gotta get the right clothes on. Definitely. I need a sports bra. I gotta have the right tennis on because my feet are going to hurt. And so I have to go through the action of becoming ready to go do that workout before I go work out. So I think about it this way with shifting our mindset and our behaviors and, and our, you know, kind of some of those things that are core to who we are, instead of just accepting that I'm a liar I have to think about like, at first I have to accept, okay, this is who I am. And then I really have to think about why don't I want to be a liar? Who do I want to be? And what would that look like if I never told a lie again? And suddenly when I begin imagining the version of myself that never tells a lie, I'm like, wow, I'd be so free. I wouldn't have guilt. I wouldn't have to tell stories on the stories on the stories. I wouldn't have to keep to what wow, what a relief, what a relief. Right. And I began, so that's really the, what I learned about like the benefit of, of taking the time to become ready, um, was, you know, thinking really hard about just how much more prepared I felt for the next time when I might be tempted to do that thing or behave that way that I, I felt like I had enough reasons that I didn't want to do it. Um, that I, I felt like I could be brave and I could face it and I could try. 
Yeah. And that's, that's very much like the process that I've been going through, even from the very early days, like uh, I was listening back to my very first podcast episode with that you, that you and I did on your podcast. Yeah. And I listened to that and I still, I feel very much the same person, but there's still, there's slight changes, you know, but I, I think about that person because I was so new in recovery. And then I think about like, I had a meeting today with somebody that, you know, is going to just, just the way that I approach people. And I, you know, like even just asking for people to come on the podcast or, or reaching out and like, you know, going for what I want, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Going for what I want and what I, you know, that's not something that I can honestly ever say was part of me uh, or it felt like it was part of me. You know, I want to help women. I want to get our stories out there. I want to get our voices out there. And that passion in me just seems to kind of, it's just changed me. It's Mm -hmm. changed the way that like this, you know, I'm not a very social person. So like, like just cold calling somebody and being like, Hey, um, would you <laughs> like to be a guest on my little indie podcast? <laughs> you know, that where, where did that person come from? Right. Like that was not, that was not the Christina of 2018 of yesteryear and the Christina of 2010. Like, right. It's, it's, it's just like Danielle's said on my podcast, I released with her this week. She's like, my family calls me Danny 2.0. And that's kind of how I feel like yeah. Christina 2.0, like just this completely different version of myself. And I'm, I'm more authentic and happier than I've, I've been in a really, really long time. So I think in the only way that I could be this version of myself, truest version of myself is getting out of my own way and being ready to let go of the things that were holding me back. Right. So I think that's, that's why this, this step is so crucial. Yeah, I I think it is too. And that's funny. We both had guests who made a reference to this. I interviewed someone today. I think it'll release within the next couple of weeks. Um, And he said he became known at work as new John. I'm new John. You know, he was like, you're like a whole new John. I've never seen you smile this much in the last 10 years that I've known you. And uh, yeah, I mean, it is. And I've, I've had comments like that too. You know, you seem like a whole new person and you know, for some people that's great. And for other people who are used to the old version of me, it's not so great. Yeah. Especially when we start putting up those boundaries and, and enforcing them, yeah. that, that can really change things. It can. Um, and, and we talked, the next thing that it goes over in this workbook is personal knowledge, which you've already touched base on, you know, is just knowing, knowing, recognizing these defects, like, like really thinking. And I think that's too why journaling has been so helpful for me is I can go back and I can read something I wrote and actually look at it in a completely different perspective. I think I was talking, I think I posted something yesterday about like managing, managing your emotions and not reacting (laughs) to your emotions. Like, because I had a a situation and it was like, my first instinct was to go one way, but then it's like, okay, (laughs) let's, let's really walk walk, walk through this in our minds. And, you know, so it's similar for me in journaling, like I can journal out an emotion and then come back and read it and look at it and be like, okay, well, we need to work on this, you know? And so personal knowledge of, of knowing those defects or, or just, we don't even have to say defects, just the things that, that we want to change in ourselves to be the better version of ourselves. Right. that we want to be. Yeah. Just the constant an- inquiry of like, is this who I want to be? Am I proud of this action? Do I want to, you know, do I want to continue being this kind of friend, mother, daughter, sister, whatever in the coworker, whatever in the world, right? Is this how I want to show up in the world? And if it's not, it's within my control to change that. Absolutely. And do I, with help, yeah. <laughs> with I mean, help, do I want to be a person who doesn't, um, for me, it was like, do I want to be a person who doesn't go for what she wants? Do I want to be a person that doesn't, that has all these ideas in her head, but doesn't pursue them. And I don't, I want to pursue them. I want to, to do all these things. And sometimes I, I frustrate myself because 
the old version of me would have just sat on him, ignored him, let life pass him by. The new version of me wants to do everything yesterday. So <laughs> and all the things. <laughs> all the things. Telling me early on, because I've, I've been like this since you met me, right? Like the next thing, the next thing. And I remember how important it was. And everybody can see my nicely organized calendar back there. But I have that calendar. I have my book calendar that I carry with me and I have my phone calendar. Like I have, I have to be this organized. Um, and that wasn't a version of me either. This is, this is recovery, Christina back mm-hmm. here because non-recovery Christina didn't even know what bill she had coming out anymore because <laughs> she didn't care. Uh, <laughs> and so, so it's just like seeing those types of things. Like I want to be a person who's organized. I want to be a person who pays her bills on time. I want to be a person who knows when her bills are due you know? Uh, and so I want to be a person who doesn't worry about having enough. I still worry about not having enough money. I mean, I dug myself a pretty good hole, but it's not, it's not (laughs) the same kind of still want to be, but do you want to be that person who doesn't have to worry? Yeah. I I don't want to be that person. I want to keep, keep working. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to worry about money anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So it says, and this is interesting. I thought when I read this, uh, so sometimes we are completely responsible for a pattern of behavior. For example, it's never appropriate to hit someone unless you're defending yourself. So when we create these patterns of behavior, like lying or, um, gaslighting, which is, I hate that word manipulating. Those are all three things that very much would have described me 11 months ago, you know? Um, when when we are responsible for those actions, like, even though I know we can blame so much on the addiction, addiction, our addicted brain is different from a non-addicted brain. Right. Mm -hmm. But there still comes a point where we, we, we do recognize those behaviors. We just choose to not change them. Would you agree or not agree? Yeah, I think it, I think some of that depends. Um, that's, you know, the, the caveat answer I can give to anything, I suppose, but there are times where for me, it, even if I'm aware that I have something, if a certain thing, triggering thing happens for me, uh, an old pattern of behavior could show up and be like, Whoa, I did that thing again, you know? And the awareness is like, Oh, that's kind of where, later on in the steps where we talk about taking that daily inventory and promptly admitting when we're wrong, because my goodness, we are not going to be perfect. We're going to still mess up every day. Life is still going to throw its curveballs at us. Um, I, there are so many people who have achieved many, 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 many years of recovery and then had an experience where addiction, um, kind of went and went into overdrive again in their lives. And that doesn't mean that they didn't want recovery or that they didn't have the capability to keep going, but that they, um, they, they, it lost its priority for a moment. And that's literally how long it takes. It's a split decade, split second decision. So uh, sometimes those subconscious patterns, I don't know that we're ever going to fully erase them which for me is why I keep going to meetings. I keep working the steps. This is what's worked all this time. I'm going to keep doing what's already working and not scale back my recovery. And I think maybe that's how sometimes we get complacent, but there's people who go and they do all the, all the things that we all say that they should do, who still might have that split second moment where the addiction does kind of just, there's some switch that just goes off. So I, it's, that's but a the, tough the lying. Like, yeah, lies. like it's almost, it, it's almost just an automatic. It's not like I choose to lie. It, it, I mean, even though, I mean, that's just such a fine line between choosing, like we don't choose addiction. Right. Right. And so there's, there's a fine line in between like not choosing addiction. And then there's still choices within that addiction. We, we still make, but sometimes it just, for me, it feels like it was always like autopilot automatic. And so in recovery, like with the line, it's just like an automatic, like, and then it's, it's recognizing that and and correcting it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, certainly I think they're like, at this point, if I gambled in five and a half years, 
free of placing bets on, you know, anything but me, as you, you hear me say a hundred times, I placed a bet on anybody, any, anything, but anything myself. but myself. Right. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and, and that, that's what I see you doing, right. Is that you're investing in you and you're believing in you and you're, you know, not the odds of some whatever jackpot hitting or the right spin or, or the right free play offer or whatever. Right. Your favor. <laughs> so Hunger Games. <laughs> May they ever be in your favor. So but I yeah, I think so. I don't it's been a long time. That might be well, a fun. not in your favor, period. <laughs> right, not at the casino. No. Um, but I yeah, I don't even know where I was going because now I'm thinking about Hunger Sorry. Games. That's okay. That's what we do. The um, good thing about not doing live is that we <laughs> we normally like, would edit that out. Well, we sometimes will wander. Yeah, we'll edit our wanders. That's okay. Um, I but back to that original question: like, is it a choice? I mean, yeah, it's a series of small choices that lead to that big decision. I think, and yet at the same time, I I want to allow for grace and room for the fact that we this is a progressive illness that if not cared for, um, can catch us off guard and take us by surprise and lead us, lead us away from recovery. And I, this is a topic that comes up in the rooms a lot about counting days. Like, is that helpful? Is that not helpful? And everyone has a different experience with that for those people who are counting days and then have a slip and then come back and reset their, their date of, uh, sobriety, freedom, pick your favorite word. And for many people, they get in this mindset of like, I lost my recovery. And like, I don't love that. I don't love that. I love like you learned something and you didn't lose all those days. You, you learned something else new that you need to be aware of, and maybe even a new detective character to pay attention to. That's what happened. You know, did, did you lose all that sobriety? Did you lose all those days that you learned how to go without a drink, without a drug, without a bet? You didn't lose them. Those days are still there and they still add up. So it's a, that one, the counting of days, um, can be hard for some people. And I know not all programs of recovery do. Mine does. And, uh, and I, I know there's a few people who struggle with that. Yeah. For me, um, I, I do count the days, uh, because it's very, it's, it's, it's important to me, yeah. but I can see, I, I remember times where I would get so many days and it seems like the milestones, you know, that, that my, my recovery program celebrates, it, it felt like a lot of pressure you know? And so I don't know what it is, but around those, those milestones, it was just be like, Oh, I've got this many days. And then, you know, back into that, I don't want to go off in another like a river, but you know, <laughs> the self-destruct thing kind of comes in. It's like, do I really want to be good? And I, yes. I do, but there's still that little like monster in the back of my mind. That's like, ah, let's, let's just burn this down. Come on. You know, like let's do something wrong. Yeah, I feel something bad and, you know, so I, and that's just being completely honest. That's, that's something I, that rears its ugly head every once in a while. And, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's learning to talk back to that little demon and be like, no, no, I've got so much more to gain. Life's better over here. Sorry. Sorry. See ya. Your friend Kitty likes to say, go back in your cage. Yes, it is a monster that needs to go back in its cage. The um the the thought around the milestones. That's uh I'm reading The Body Keeps Score very slowly. I'm a person who has like multiple books going on at the same time between audiobooks and actual books. And The Body Keeps Score is one that's interesting when I think about those milestones and my own pattern of behavior right around my annual clean date and clean. I don't even like that word either. The anniversary though of, of when I decided to stop going to the casino and stop gambling around that date, I, I have um, almost like this runaway, runaway, be by myself um, desire. And it's almost like I'm revisiting that depression 
feeling that I had when I, when I really was at the end of my gambling and having thoughts of suicide and same thing happens. Visiting that emotion. Yeah. And the same thing kind of happens. And I don't even notice it until I'm like, why am I feeling this way? Like what is going on? So I'm reading the body keeps score and looking for some insight there to see if there's kind of this like annual, you know, is there like a little tracker in my mind and it, it could really be like, oh, it's, this is the weather outside. And, and you know, your, your memory is associating some things with that. And then I have other, you know, there's other, other times of the year, where I get low. And then when I look at that, I'm like, what happened at this point in my, you know, at this point of the year in my history. And I can see like, oh, oh, this is, this is the week that my dad died, you know, and I'll, I'll find it. And so I think there is something about the milestones that maybe there is a remembrance happening inside of our, our heads, you know, subconsciously that's um, revisiting the emotion we had at that that window of time in a different year. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense why I struggled so much during the holidays, but at least going through that struggle between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Cause after I got through Christmas, I was fine, but I struggled with like, and I, I, I think I associate it. I mean, I associated the holidays and gambling, but I also now through the wisdom of others associate a lot of that with like anxiety, um, you know, like social anxiety, because I had a lot of social commitments and, Mm -hmm. you know, so going into the next holiday season and am I blessed to do so? Um, I'll, I'll recognize it and I'll, I'll know ahead of time, like, okay, this is going to be a problem area for like me. Let's, let's try and cut back on, on social engagements or, you know, just whatever. I'll be able to kind of have them because I went through what I did. I'll be able to have a better idea. I'll be able to expect it. And, um, hopefully work through it a little bit easier. Cause I really struggled, um, through that time, but we've got, let's see, six, seven minutes for eight. Yeah. I'm going to try and keep this at, at an hour. That's always a goal, <laughs> but it never works. Um, okay. So let's talk real quick about what are things that keep us from change for me. I'll just go out and say it. I mean, I've, I've already talked about it. I don't like disappointing people. I don't like confrontation with people. I don't like upsetting or hurting people's feelings. And I think that for me is probably one of my biggest barriers and that, cause if, if I look at that people pleasing or, or whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. if I look at that, it, it comes into play with lying. It comes into play with, um, manipulation, even to sort like ma- manipulating around being honest with my own feelings. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that for me is the biggest barrier and, and I work through it every day. I mean, I'm getting stronger for change. That's your biggest barrier. Yeah. I think mine is mine's just self-doubt and negative self-talk. I mean, it's the thing that shows up over, that comes up second. (laughs) That comes up over and over and over again for me. And part of it is kind of does tie in then to the people pleasing, because if I'm in self-doubt, and I'm negative self-talking myself. And then I solicit, instead of trusting myself that I know what's right for me, I solicit opinions from a whole bunch of other people. And then it's almost like, well, if I don't listen to them, what are they going to think? Am I going to hurt their feelings if I don't take their advice? You know, And so so those two for me are a little bit intertwined. If we've got self-doubt and negative self-talk and I go talk that out with someone and they give me advice and I don't take, I'm like, Ooh, maybe I should just take their advice. Even if I don't want to do that, because then they'll be happy. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's a, be, but they're, they they're be. twisted <laughs> together for me. Yeah. Very, very interlaced. I work a lot on the negative self-talk and self-doubt stuff. And you're really good about, um, like when I come at, come at you with that, you're always so good at like coaching me through it that I don't Mm -hmm. even realize that you struggle with it, you know, until you come at me and it's like with something. And then I'm like, I just turned around what you said Mm -hmm. and you're like, so yeah, I, we're a good team. I do a lot of work on that. Um, more than I think a lot of people realize because that's an area where I wasn't previously vulnerable. You know, I kind of put on the put on the presentation and I, you know, I had a career in a pretty professional environment and I was a leader. And I mean, 
all these labels, right. That I was, I was trying then I showed up confident, like people believed that I would had things together and that I, that I was confident and, you know, people had this perception of me, but inside there's, there's a lot of chatter uh, about, you know, what I'm capable of, what I can accomplish, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, what other people are going to think. And a lot of fear of judgment, criticism, abandonment that sits there. Um, mm-hmm. And the tools of recovery have allowed myself and coaching have allowed myself to see what that is and be able to coach myself. Uh, but I have to do it really, really regularly. Um, you know, I'm terrified. You heard me, you saw me before we got on live and there's literally two people watching me. So I was like, Oh, my hair's frizzy. What's this microphone thing doing here? Right. Cause I'm all worried about what other people are going to think. And I see it showing up and I'm like, this is so silly, but it, it's part of, part of that character defect that I am working to eliminate. And here I have an opportunity to do that and see it and, and see how it shows up for me and what that creates and kind of go ahead anyway to prove like, it's not the end of the world. If you show up with frizzy hair, like that's not the problem. The problem is the message and the message that we're both committed to getting out is that you are not, thanks to now, <laughs> you are not alone in this recovery journey. And if you feel like you're alone in it, there are so many women, of course, both of us, but millions, literally millions of women on planet earth right now, praying that you get the help you need, willing to work the steps with you, willing, we're willing, like we're here, we're on Facebook. You want to work the steps? Come on. Like, I guess, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'd be willing to do this again and make it a thing. There's introverts who don't want to go to meetings, but they want to work the steps. They don't know where to start. Let's go grab the book. Women's way through the 12 steps. Let's talk this out. Let's talk it out. Yeah. Talking helps. Hashtag. Hashtag talking help. (laughs) Brian Hatch moment. That was totally a Brian Hatch moment. Oh, and you guys started a TikTok too. I mean, that's, that's a whole, there's a whole nother layer of social media vulnerability. It's a whole series. Yeah. Fun. Confessions of a gambling addict. Yeah. We compiled stories. I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who don't, want to hear those things or don't, you know, like maybe get triggered by them or, but for me, when I hear stories like that, it connects me in a way of like, it doesn't take, it doesn't pull me back to that bad behavior. It like makes me realize I'm human and you know what I mean? So when you hear that somebody else kind of had similar behaviors, it just kind of like validates that we're all human. And the thing is with, with recovery is you know, we're not guaranteed that life's going to be perfect. You know, life's still going to be life, as you like to say on life's terms. Right. But at least we'll have the tools we need. And by working these steps, it helps us build the tools that we need. Yeah. It's uh, it live life on life's terms. Yeah. And accept, accept reality. I mean, the, the, I have this illustration about rainy days, right? Like if it's raining outside and you're in the middle of a drought, you're going to be so excited that the rain is coming because you're, you, we need the rain. But if you're at the pool and this, and the sun is shining and you were going to go swimming and then it's raining, then you're going to be arguing with the rain. Like we can't change the weather. And there's a whole lot that we can't change about life, but there's a lot that we can change in how we respond to, to our lives. And I'm, you know, I, I want to be done with the suffering side and be in the living side of life. And for me, recovery has made that possible. Absolutely. And I've seen what it's done for me too. So yeah, I, I, you're doing so many amazing things. Like you are the definition of this, my podcast, the ambitious addict, like you're being way more ambitious than I am these days. I just don't want to stop. I'm so scared of being stuck. You know, I was stuck for so long and, and now it's like, I just have this passion in me. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say thanks for agreeing to do this. This was good. I want to keep doing it. I hope that we can reach way more people who are feeling alone and work in a program of recovery um, and maybe aren't finding what they need in meetings, or maybe they're in a place where they just can't get physically 
to a meeting um, to be able to see what it's like to actually work the steps with someone. As you probably heard, we both learned about one another's experience and had some similarity in the things that we struggle with, which again, just reinforces we're absolutely not alone. We're not alone. We're not alone. And I know we certainly both felt like we were when we were active in our addictions. Absolutely. I still can kind of feel that pain of loneliness every yeah. once in a while. It'll yeah. just come out of nowhere. And Julie, Julia is all in. And Janelle, thank you for the congratulations. Um, if you are working a program of recovery for yourself, congratulations to you too. And we'll be doing this again. We work the steps together in this format on the mic once a month. So sometime in February, we'll be back talking once step seven, once a month-ish used to be the first Saturday of every month. And now we're just kind of fluid and, you know, we're driving Christina's planning brain crazy. <laughs> like, wait, wait, we need to schedule this. We need to schedule this. We need to schedule this. Yeah. Uh, thanks everyone for being here. Thank you.